Welcome to Nigerian American. My name is LD, and this is my podcast. Podcast. In 2004, I lived alone in a one-bedroom apartment at a complex called Wood Point in Marietta, Georgia. My apartment was a little under a thousand square feet, but it was more than sufficient for me at the time. I was an active musician, so I had a music production studio set up in my living room. I remember quite vividly where I sat in that apartment as I wrote the lyrics to my song, Agoyan. My first solo project was pretty much created in that apartment. A lot of the first few friends I made in Atlanta were people I met while living at Woodpoint. I also had a few old friends who were relocating from Nigeria to the U.S. back then who squatted with me in my apartment for a few weeks or months while initially trying to get settled. One of such friends is my friend Ismail Bello. I met Ismail while I was at the University of Lagos in Nigeria, and we hung out quite a bit before I relocated. So when he also moved to the U.S. and he needed a place to stay, he moved in with me. There was a Kroger shopping complex right around the corner from my apartment, which was super convenient. The complex had everything I needed back then. A blockbuster movie rental store, a UPS store, and a few other conveniences. So it was pretty common for me to stop at the complex on my way back from work or if I needed to do some quick grocery shopping. One day, Ismail and I went to Kroger, as we did quite often, and while we were there, we met a guy named Bayo. 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 Bayo was a very friendly guy. I imagine we were probably around the same age, and that may have been the reason he struck a conversation with me, or maybe it was the fact that we rarely saw other minorities in that neighborhood. That part of Marietta, at the time, was not very diverse. I'm not sure why he said what's up, but we got talking and we both discovered that we were into music. I told Bayo I had a studio around the corner in my apartment and that he was welcome to check it out anytime. He was really excited about that and he told me how he had been trying to figure out how to record music since he moved to Georgia with no luck. It was also interesting that his name Bayo was spelt the same way as Ismail's last name, Bello. Two names, same spelling, different languages, different meanings. Bello in Spanish means handsome, whereas Ismail's last name, Bello, means helper in Fulani. Fulani is a language spoken by more than 50 million people spread across West Africa. So the name Bello is quite common, especially among the Hausa and Fulani tribes of northern Nigeria. We joked about the name coincidence for a moment before saying our goodbyes, and Bayo promised to come around to my apartment the following day. The following day, Bayo showed up as planned, and I immediately took him through my archive of music. He didn't quite have music for me to check out, so he started freestyling over some of my instrumentals. I thought he was talented, and in my typical mode back then of being always ready to collaborate, I offered to produce some music for him. At the time, the urban music genre that was starting to get a lot of airplay 
and what Bayo was interested in creating was reggaeton. One of the big hits of that era was a song by Daddy Yankee called Tu Principe. Pitbull was also on the rise at the time, and his hit song, Kulo, was a radio and club banger. These are some of the examples Bayo pointed out to me, so I started creating a playlist to immerse myself into the genre. While vibing in my home studio, Bayo and I started talking about my music journey and why I decided to relocate, how I moved from Nigeria, and what it was like trying to assimilate into a totally different culture. While I told my story, I noticed his demeanor began to change. He was a very lively guy with an obviously extroverted personality. But something about this topic made him sink back into a place of sadness. After a while, the mood in the room was impossible to ignore, so I asked him why he suddenly seemed sad. And then he told me a truly moving story about how he migrated to the U.S., Bayo told me about losing both his parents at a very young age and how he had had to fend for himself and his little brother while living in a small town in southern Mexico. He told me about dangerous cartel activity and how difficult life was for them and why he decided at some point that they needed to find their way to America. They had no money, so getting to America was not going to be easy. They basically had to join a group of Guatemalan migrants that were walking over a thousand miles to get to the U.S. border, where they can either apply for asylum or illegally enter the country. This is a treacherous journey through extremely challenging terrains, walking for about 10 hours nonstop every day for over a month. Many of the migrants either fell sick, were bitten by snakes or the animals, and some of them ended up succumbing to their illnesses or injuries and died. According to Bayo, when people die, the bodies are just covered with their belongings or a shallow grave is dug where they're buried. If the death happens at a campsite, they may get a burial, but if it happened while they were on the move, the body of the dead was basically left to rot because they couldn't afford to slow down the entire group. Some migrants were physically unable to keep up with the group and were either left behind or they decided to stop on their own. Bayo mentioned that there were moments that he thought he couldn't make it any further, but he had to stay alive and keep going. If for no other reason, but for his little brother. He really needed to find a way to get his brother to the U.S. and to finally be able to give him the opportunities their homeland didn't have. As he told the story, I couldn't help but sink into sadness myself. I was literally watching him relive the pain of those difficult moments. After about 35 days, they eventually reached the border somewhere in Texas. And this was a time when the U.S. border was being manned by both border security and trigger-happy volunteers. So getting caught by the wrong people could have been deadly. In usual fashion, the groups had split up into multiple smaller-sized groups to increase their chances of not being caught by U.S. border security and their volunteers. Bayo and his brother stayed together within a small group on the Mexico side of the border, waiting for the right opportunity to cross onto the U.S. side. Their chances were better at night, and it eventually came. But then he said, just as they had managed to get over the border to the U.S. side, 
They heard sounds of dogs barking and were caught in some really bright floodlights. In panic, they made a run for it. There were some people chasing after them and firing shots in what Bayo imagined was them shooting in the air. So he and his brother just kept running. At some point in the chaos of getting away, he turned around looking in all directions and couldn't find his little brother. He decided to turn back and go find him, but everyone coming from behind kept shoving at him and telling him to keep going and that he will be able to reconnect with his brother later. Bay also believed his brother to be faster than he was, so he began to imagine that his brother may have actually gone ahead of him in the scramble. So he had a decision to make, keep going back towards the border and risk getting caught or continue towards safety. He said he figured that if he managed to make it to safety and his brother did as well, it would have all been worth it. But if somehow his brother made it and he didn't, his brother would have had no chance at all and may have decided to go back home to Mexico. So in what was a decision that needed to be made in a matter of seconds, he chose to run towards safety. Only about half of those who were with Bale's group made it across. The rest of them were captured and most likely either placed in detention for deportation proceedings or sent back over the border through which they arrived. Cell phones were available in 1999, but Bayo and his brother couldn't afford one. There was no way to know if his brother made it across or not. So after waiting a few weeks, checking every nook and cranny of the U.S. city they arrived in, Bayo eventually had to move further inland. At the time he was telling me the story, Bayo had been in the U.S. for over five years. And he told me that he had tried everything possible to find his brother, but had no luck. He is pretty confident his brother didn't return home, but he has no idea where or how he ended up. He said to me that his main motivation for doing music and the reason he wants to become famous is that he believes that it may be the only way to find his brother. Bayo hoped that if he managed to somehow become famous, his brother would be able to find him. At this point, I was nearly in tears. His story moved me so much that even though I didn't have a lot of resources at the time, I made a promise to help him in whatever way possible. A few days later, Bayo came back to my home studio to continue his project. And while trying to come up with something unique, I asked if he could get me some traditional music from Mexico, which he immediately did. There was something about all the reggaeton tracks that I was hearing at the time that sounded too alike to me, and I wanted to give Bayo's music a different edge. So I thought finding a way to infuse something more traditionally Mexican would help the sound. I also thought that there was something unique about reggaeton that wasn't far from the bounce of Afro-hip-hop. So, the genre everyone calls Afrobeats today was actually originally named Afro-hip-hop. Afro-hip-hop was a fusion of multiple pop genres with a strong element of Fela's Afrobeat music. I think Burna Boy explained it the best when he said in an interview that Afrobeats can be imagined as a pizza with Fela's original Afrobeat as the bass, the dough, if you will. 
And then the top ends are all the other genres like reggae, high life, dancehall, hip-hop, R&B, soul, techno, or even dance music. Essentially, the soul of modern Afrobeats is the genre that the late great Fela Kuti created. And that's really what gives Nigerian Afrobeats music its uniqueness. I was confident at that time that it was the edge that we had, and I'm still quite confident that the current explosion of Afrobeats today owes its success to our decision as Nigerian musicians to stick to that formula. Even when we dabble into other subgenres, like I'm a piano, for example, there's a uniqueness to it that is still very Nigerian. It's the Afrobeats element. Anyways, while trying to create music for Bayo, I thought it would be unique to insert some of my Afrobeat elements into the music I was creating, and it definitely added something to the groove of it that he really, really liked. So I started off with a sample from one of the records that Bayo shared, and I built out the stems of the beat in Fruity Loops and Sony Acid. I can't quite remember the sampled artist's name, but it was a chopped up loop from a song by a small Latino band. Then I added reggaeton drum patterns, an Afrobeats bass line, some horns, and then I burned the track on a CD for Bayo. And he was supposed to return with written verses for us to record the song the following week. A week passed and Bayo didn't return to complete the song. I tried calling his cell phone, but it rang out every time. Eventually, I started getting a notice of his line being disconnected. Ismail and I wondered why we hadn't seen him after having such an amazing production session. But we just imagined at the time that maybe it was taking him longer than he thought to write the verses. I remember he already had a title to the song. He titled the song, Donde Estas, which in Spanish means, where are you? I was really excited to help him record the song, and though I didn't have a large U.S. fan base, I had a few radio connects, and I could help him shoot a music video. Bayo's story moved me so much that I had already started working out various ways to help him find his brother, even without signing him to my production company or record label. Weeks of unreturned calls turned to months, and then a year passed. And I have not been able to reach Bayo since. About six months after Bayo disappeared, I started wondering if maybe he was picked up by police or immigration enforcement. I wasn't sure if he had regularized his stay in the U.S. at the time or if he was still illegally present in the U.S. I imagined all sorts. Did he get picked up by ICE? Did he maybe find his brother and decided the music thing was no longer worth it? Did he maybe find out his brother didn't make it and then gave up on the music? There were so many thoughts running through my head at the time. I even imagined that I would maybe one day hear the finished song on the radio. But it was clear about after a year that Bayo was probably not going to come back. Ismail eventually moved to New York to pursue his career as a doctor. Shortly after, Oladele, another really good friend of mine and a fellow Afrobeats pioneer, relocated to the U.S. from London. And he also stayed with me at the same apartment. Oladili was already a Tri-Burkitts artist at the time, so we made a bunch of music together. Shortly after Oladili relocated, we got a bigger three-bedroom apartment, also in Marietta, 
this time at an apartment complex called Woodgreen. The size of the Woodgreen apartment allowed us to not only have separate rooms, but to convert one of the rooms into a full-time studio. Our Woodgreen apartment was where I recorded my Return of the King album, which was released in 2006. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American. Hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. Early in the winter of 2005, Oladili and I, along with our good friend and new roommate, TK, decided to drive up to New York to shoot a music video for my song, Aigoyan. We did that in preparation for promoting my album, Return of the King. We drove up to New York from Atlanta on a snowy Friday night, shot the video on Saturday morning, and headed back to Atlanta on Sunday morning. On the drive back to Atlanta, we were listening to my Beats archives in the car, trying to come up with new song ideas when the beat I made for Bayo came up. I immediately skipped it, but Oladile was adamant about going back to that particular instrumental. I explained to him and TK that it was created for Bayo, an artist that disappeared on me, and I explained to them that it was also a genre that wouldn't necessarily work for our primary audience of Nigerians. But Oladile thought different, and the more we listened, the more I became convinced. So I started thinking, hmm, what if the verses were written in Pidgin, Yoruba, Hausa, and Igbo? It could be interesting to hear some Afro vibes on a reggaeton instrumental. At that time, I was already sure what my album singles were, so I thought, you know what? It's not going to hurt to do something experimental. I was driving, so I kept the beat on repeat. And while I came up with some ideas, Oladili helped me write them down on paper in the backseat. I must say that Oladili is an Afrobeats legend, a creative that rarely ever gets his flowers. He is by far one of the best writers I have ever had the privilege of working with. Really easy to bounce ideas off, and he always had amazing input. Long story short, about an hour later, the song had structure, and I ended up recording it as soon as we got back to Atlanta. If you're a fan of Afrobeats music from back then, the song must be very familiar. I didn't plan for this song to be a single, but it ended up being the second most commercially successful single off my album, Return of the King. Champion, 
the champion. None of them fit to pose any competition. Baby Lil Lemon, Gem Fiema. It goes one for the rhyme and two for the show. Three to Ali as I collect my dough. Hey, I follow Simi when I shake body. Anytime I come again, I go one to the. Oh my shit, tries man, you know they sing again. It depend on me, if me go and they feel the pain. More than this soon, I see young P. Yes, so far good. Pepper still rest yo. One in Musa, I see green and pasture. And it's all in Ugo, my son, to face all. But to see the Amy, they lock down. And you see me, ever me call, ever me call, say, clap on the hand, I miss a clap on the hand. LD, number one, I be the champion. None of them fit the pose in the competition. They be little, man, no, sophomore. Clap on the hand, I miss a clap on the hand. LD, number one, I be the champion. None of them fit the pose in the competition. They be little, man, Jeff. Now, if you ever saw the music video for this song, it was shot inside the living room of my wood green apartment. We shot the video on the last day of the Nigerian reunion event that held in Atlanta that year. A few interesting cameos were also made in that video, including my good friends Banky W, the Amplified Crew, Kino, Zena, Naira, Oladele, TK, and some of our other friends. Not only was the song Champion one of the biggest hits of my solo career, it went on to be nominated for multiple awards and eventually landed me my 2007 Best International Album Award at the Nigerian Entertainment Awards, also known as the NEA. Champion also marked the beginning of Afrobeats artists using reggaeton-influenced beats, a trend that lasted a couple years and created multiple hits in Nigeria. I always imagined that Bayo would one day hear Champion. And while I was excited to share what I had created with him, I worried about him feeling some type of way about me eventually using it. Technically, I created it, so it's mine to use, especially after a year had passed and I couldn't reach him. But Bayo's story moved me so much that I can't help feeling a little sad each time Champion plays and I think of him. Every now and again, I think about Bayo and wonder where he ended up. I searched all over the internet for him. I didn't have his last name, and I guess I probably wouldn't have been able to find him if he was illegal, because then he would have been undocumented. I wasn't sure if he ended up finding his brother. I wondered if his brother maybe made it across the border that day, and if Maybe they're both somewhere together right now, living a fulfilling life. Bayo's story is a common one. 
many people embarking on very grueling journeys in search of a better life and better opportunities. For many people who get dealt the lucky life cards of being born in a stable country where life is easy, it's difficult for us to understand the struggles of those that get dealt the ugly cards. I flew into America legally on my own terms and with thousands of dollars in my possession upon arrival. There are many people like me from all over the world. But then there are also many people like Bayo who have to risk it all just to be able to make it here. My understanding of the struggle truly makes me appreciate my opportunities even more. My hope is that Bayo is somewhere out there happy and doing great. And I know this is a long shot, but Bayo, if you're somewhere out there hearing this, I've been trying to find you. Please reach out. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nigerian American. Please subscribe, leave comments, and continue to share this podcast. Feel free to holler at me on Instagram or Twitter at LD the Dawn. That's at E-L-D-E-E-T-H-E-D-O-N. For more episodes, extended discussions, exclusive content, or partnerships, please visit www.nigerianamericanpodcast.com. My name is LD. Thank you.